Welcome to Saturday Strategy, the business show for the small and mighty. This is your host, Johnny Themans. Hi, welcome and thanks for joining us for this edition of Saturday Strategy, the original podcast for business owners who want to cut the crap and get the answers. I'm Johnny, I'm your host, and as usual, we've got lots of information in today's episode. So if you're driving or getting on with other stuff, don't worry, we'll have all of the links and information in the show notes. Now, one of the things we often need to think about when we're developing a strategy for growth is the type of clients and the type of contracts that we might be wanting to secure for our business. And the larger those clients get and the larger those contracts get, then the more complex the procurement process becomes. And even the terms procurement process put a lot of people off, I can tell you. So, What we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at um, how to bid and tender for larger contracts and the opportunities that that presents um, for us for growth. And we've got a great guest on who's going to demystify a few things, who's going to really help us to understand what the uh, obstacles are that are in our way and see if we can understand how those opportunities might present themselves for us and for our business. So today we're joined by Scott Brown from the EIB Group, which I doubt you will have heard of, but they've got two divisions. One part of it called EIB Professional Services is all about bidding for large contracts. And when I say large, we're talking here in the hundreds of millions or billions. And I think there was one contract they did, which is even 20 billion pounds, which um, which is a lot of money. Um, but they've got the other part, which is possibly more relevant for us, which is the preferred bid bid writers which uh, which really services the um the smaller companies to help to scale up and i think this is really useful for us as business owners who are focused on growth because um tenders and uh, bid writing and going for these sort of contracts are a, are a great way to be able to scale up but certainly in my experience lots of businesses don't do it so we've got scott on board here um he's been in the world of uh, bid writing and helping people to, um, to to win these bids or to win the work and scale up their companies in this way since 1992. So he knows a thing or two about it and uh, he's going to help us to do things. Welcome to Saturday Strategy, Scott. Thanks, Johnny, and thanks for uh, thanks for inviting us on. I know it's, it's, it's great to have you here, Scott. I'm, I'm particularly interested. Um, this, the, I could guess at some of the reasons because I know a few myself, but why do you think it is that small companies don't really, well, I'll tell you what, why, why can we just rewind it up a little bit? Why don't you explain exactly what we're talking about here in terms of what these opportunities are? And then perhaps you could try and sort of uh, give us some idea as to why you think it is that small companies aren't grabbing these opportunities as much as they could. Yeah, so I think, Johnny, if I concentrate on the, the kind of the SME um, uh, sort of end of public procurement at, at the moment, or, or generally procurement at the moment, and, uh, and folks in that area, what are you really looking at? You're probably looking at four main um, opportunities that sit there for, for SMEs. Um, there's a lot of opportunities that come out of local government uh, where they're looking for um, small providers, wherever they can, to... Um, to um, provide services that could be gra- cutting the grass, it could be painting buildings, it could be, um, you know, servicing laundry, um, laundries and, and the like. You have the NHS 
Um, we're also looking for, um, for, uh, for providers and again are encouraged by central government to be focusing on opportunities for small and medium-sized enterprises. Um, in the West Midlands, um, in the next couple of years, lots of potential opportunities around the Commonwealth Games. You know, the whole thing of putting the games on, whether that's providing accommodation, signposting, uh, signposting um, you know, all of that goes through a public procurement route. Um, and then you have larger organisations who are, um, you know, on the other side of our business who are, who are delivering uh, highways maintenance or building airports or, um, you know, sorting out you know, sewage plants. Um, and they look for subcontractors to support that. And so there's a procurement uh, route uh, for SMEs into those uh, larger organisations, all of whom have a pretty large social value agenda now. Um, and a big part of that is um, trying to get more contracts to small and medium-sized enterprises. So, so that's the kind of the opportunity. It's, it's pretty... You know, it's pretty enormous, really, if you look at mm. around the country as a whole. Um, so I guess your question is, why don't SMEs actually engage in that market? And I was giving that some thought in advance of today. Um, and I, I, I guess I've narrowed it down to four points um, that, uh, that strike me. The, the first is um, most SMEs don't understand the process. Um, it can feel to them really quite daunting. Um, the second is for those who actually know that public procurement is there, what they don't necessarily know is how to find those opportunities. Um, so they don't, un they don't necessarily know about public procurement portals. Um, they don't know where to go for the opportunities. And so they'll occasionally come out in, in the media, um, they'll occasionally come out in, in papers, they'll come out through uh, journals and the point if you don't know where to look proactively um, is you get to the third problem, which is um, we don't prepare in advance. And therefore, when the opportunity comes out and all the documentation comes out, what we um, find is we don't have the time to actually deliver. Because uh, yeah. these things are typically only you know, four, six weeks to turn around. Um, and that sounds fine until you think you're also delivering the day job uh, while yes. trying to bid for these things. So you've still got to do the operational things. So I think th those, those three or four points in themselves probably give you the reasons why not as many SMEs exploit these opportunities as they could. Okay. And in terms of the values of these things, Scott, when, what's, what's, what are we talking about here? What's, what's the sort of smallest type of opportunities that would go there and, you know, and, and up to what sort of level? So, so in the, the space for SMEs, I guess you're looking at um, tenders that will start at five, ten thousand pounds, maybe at the at the bottom end, um, and then going up right the way through to you know low millions. Um, I guess yeah. um, the, the the challenge there is most of these procurements will have a a ceiling on your turnover to be able to actually apply. So if you're going for something that's a hundred thousand pounds, they're going to want you to have. £300,000 worth of turnover so that you're not overly exposed to that opportunity or to that mm -hmm. contract. Um, so when you get up into, you know, 3 million, you're looking at tunnels, tunnels of, uh, you know, 9 million that they're looking for. So it starts to move out of the yes. state. But in between there, there lots and lots of different contract values. Okay. So, okay. Well, that's that. I mean, that's, that's really good. Talk me through a little bit about, just give a couple of examples of the type of contracts. I think you mentioned grass cutting, but what's, what sort of contracts, would be in sort of the local government 
um, NHS. You talked about things like signage and the the um, the, the, the sort of tier one uh, main contractors. Yeah, so I mean, it, it is as broad as as you can probably imagine. Probably everybody um, listening to this podcast is is going to be in a space that there is some um, public procurement actually out there that they could uh, engage with. Um, so if you went to a local authority, you know, I think I gave some examples, but you know, catering services, IT services, they'll contract out sometimes people to look after their websites. You know, if they were um, if they were looking at um, improving social media, they might be looking for a podcast, uh, yeah. a podcast provider. Um, you know, painting, building, grounds maintenance. I mean, there's just a whole raft of stuff out there, Johnny, which is um, you know available to all of us. Okay, so what what about the risks, Scott? Because I've, I've you know every, everyone knows of horror stories where people have you know, scaled up to take on a big project and then just failed to deliver it and stuff. You know, what, what, are, what are the risks that, that, that we can be aware yes. of? So, so the risk is less on the procurement side. In actually bidding for it, you know, the risk is, I guess, at a very simple level, you throw so much effort into it that you drop the ball on the contracts you're already delivering. So, mm. so it's actually making sure, as I said earlier, you're properly prepared to be able to deliver your contracts today while devoting some time to putting in a really professional looking bid that will secure you that next contract and that next step up in terms of the, the turnover and profitability of your business. So that's, yes. that's probably the, um, the, the risk in relation to actually engaging in the process. Uh, the, the next risk, I guess, is a bit of care and attention to the contract terms and conditions. So you'll hear of things like um, clawback provisions, um, you'll hear of things like um, penalty clauses. Mm. I mean, what, what, just, get, just explain what those terms mean. So a, a, a penalty clause would be in the contract, it will say that you'll deliver certain parts of the service to a particular standard or in a particular time scale. Um, and sometimes what the, uh, the client will do is they'll, be, they'll build in some clauses uh, to your contract that says if you don't do that then they can draw back a penalty yes. payment from you as part of the contract so there can be some risk there so you're going to want somebody with a little bit of legal nose just to cast their eye over that contract and make sure that you're not exposing yourselves to something that ultimately rather than growing your business could damage your business we do some of this stuff ourselves. Um, the thing we always start with is uh, exactly like you say, the contract terms, but then the next document we go to is the pricing document. We always price it first to work out whether there's enough juice in it to, to, uh, yeah. to make it worthwhile. And then, and then we, then we paint the picture as to why we're the best people to deliver it by writing the bid. Is that a good approach? Do you think? To be fair, we'd probably do them concurrently. Um, uh, certainly on larger bids as well. We'd probably do the two things at the same time because they're inextricably linked. Um, you know, you might change your approach based on the weighting of the evaluation criteria. So if um, you know these things will come out and they'll generally be a balance of price and quality. Um, over the last four or five years, that balance has swung a long way in most bids towards the quality side. Um, so we, you know, we now do see bids that come out where the price is 20% of the evaluation and the quality is 80%. So, in that situation, I want to understand my quality uh, response first, because actually I can pick up, you know, a, a few points on, I can drop one point on, on price and actually, you know, so, oh, so I can drop one 
point on price so long as I can pick up a quarter of a point on quality. Yeah. So a really clever thing there is, you know, get the quality right. And as people who, um, you know, earn our money by winning tenders, you know, my start point is to be as bold as possible on the quality submission and then look at the implication that has on the price and then adjust my, my quality submission, you know, based on the, on the risk that I, I then take on price. So that's yeah. kind of where we would probably normally take it from. Okay. Okay. I think we, I think when we're doing the pricing document, we're looking at, you know, the delivery model and the contract administration saying, yeah. can, you yeah. know, can we, can we do a good job of this if we price it this way? And then we've got to go and write yeah. up a good document to tell that story. So it's, it's probably the same thing. Um, okay. Okay. So um, the, the opportunities then <clears throat> you, you used a really interesting word there about being brave. Yeah. Um, you know, where, where do you, where's the, where's the line between being brave and foolish? Uh, well, I think the, the start is the start of the process really. So I, I said earlier, I think what, one of the, um, one of the challenges is understanding where these opportunities are more importantly, when are these opportunities going to come to market? Mm. Uh, and that's so that you can do prep work in advance so the worst position to be in is finding a procurement opportunity at the point that it's published. Because at that point, you get a very limited time, time frame to actually work through it. The, the best thing is to be looking at procurement portals and understanding that something's going to come to market in a month's time, two months' time, three months' time. You've then got the opportunity to actually engage with that potential client and try and actually get a bit of an understanding of what it is they're looking for, you know, what are the, what are the things that worry them, and actually start to build a little bit of a relationship between the before the formal process starts. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really solid way of de-risking the process because when you put your tender in, they're not going, who are they? Yeah. They're actually saying, oh, these are the guys who actually have been talking to us over the last three or four months. They understand us. Um, so that de-risks the process. In doing that, you also get a chance to maybe try and adjust the scope of the procurement. So, you know, help to, to engineer it so that it's more in your space. So that pre-work's invaluable, as is yeah. doing your groundwork there in terms of what's our approach to health and safety, what's our approach to quality management, what's our, you know, what finance information we're going to have to provide. So all that pre-work de-risks for you. The, yeah. next, the next part of de-risking for me is when the documents then land. Because even if you're having that dialogue, you've got to get into the documents and understand the scope of the requirements and understand the contract model that they want to, to run. So if you've had the dialogue up front, you're much better placed for that. If you haven't, make sure you understand the scope and, and ask yourself truthfully, can we deliver this with the resources yeah. we've got or the investment we're prepared to put into resourcing to deliver the contract and if you and at that end of the process you should be stopping yeah and i suppose the other parts of that is is it consistent with our strategy as a business to go and start delivering this yeah this, this as well you know does it make you know because i guess when people are receiving these submissions they'll be looking at it and saying why why is this electrician bidding for plumbing work correct you know, you know it's, it's it, it doesn't make sense you know so yeah and, and they um, will they, and at that, at that point of looking at scope etc you know, you should do what we would call a bid no bid pause in the process. So then stop and actually look at it. Look at your business and your strategy. Where where are you trying to take the business? Does this align? 
have you got the resources to deliver it, but also have you got the resources to bid it properly? And yeah. don't, don't be afraid at that point to say, this opportunity, not for us. Yeah, we'll, mm. we'll look at the next one. If you get to that point where you think, yep, yeah, you know, we can do this. It's in our space. We've got the resources. Um, we're confident in this space. Then make a bid decision and then move into uh, the actual procurement process um, at that stage and manage it in a, in a very structured and controlled way. Okay, good. What tips have you got for us then? How, how, give us some practical tips, Scott, to help us, help us along our way. Okay, so, so we've decided now, we've got to that point where we said, yep, we're going to actually bid this. We're going to uh, go through. We've, we've done hopefully some work in advance on our boilerplate uh, material. These things are, are, are now, although it's one process, they're split into two bits normally. So there's what used to be called a pre-qualification questionnaire. And then there's the tender itself. Pre-qualification bit of the process is backwards looking. So it's really looking um, at your uh, competence, your capability to be able to deliver the service that the, um, the client's looking for. So there you're going to be looking at things like case studies where you can demonstrate that you've delivered that service elsewhere. Yeah. And you're going to, going to be looking at your financial um, uh, resilience, if you like, your ability to actually um, fund the contract and not be overexposed. So that's yeah. a backward looking bit. Um, then you have the forward looking bit, which is their scope and how we would actually go about delivering that contract. Um, so if I concentrate on the, uh, on the forward looking bit for, for the purpose of uh, today, really, that, that then starts by looking at the questions that you're being asked. And before you write anything, go through and actually put a bit of a, a plan together. We'd call that a storyboard. So okay. I'm taking the question, I'm breaking it up into its component parts, and I'm just sticking some bullet points underneath it in terms of how am I actually going to go about addressing this requirement. You're making this sound like quite a creative document, a piece of creative writing, rather than, you know, as, as much as a, you know, I, I always thought, you know, you always think of writing tenders as a very dry exercise. You have to be, you have to tell, when you say t- sort of telling a story, that's, that's, cr- that's creative, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I, I think it can be creative in, in two different ways. So it could be creative in describing a, a methodology. This mm. is the way that we will deliver the service to meet your specific needs. So it could, could be creative methodology-wise, with local authorities sometimes, they're actually asking you to describe an approach. It's more of a quality uh, sort of response. And there, you're being creative in linking how you would deliver the contract to align it with the council's specific contract requirements, but also they'll have some aspirations around things like social value. Um, so what are the, the added bits that you can do that will actually um, add value and align with the, with the council's um, um, aspirations, their values, um, their social value commitments. So yeah, yeah it is. It's a bit, bit of creativity at that point. So take the time, you know, probably of the period that you're going to write the bid, I'm saying take 15, 20% of that time to actually plan what you're going to write. Because once you've got that planned and you've thought about what evidence you're going to put in to show that you can do this, um, that 20% will, will, will earn you masses of benefit back because you'll write the bid that much faster. Yeah. And when you say evidence, that's an interesting point. Uh, you know, I, I take it there's a, a principle, don't write it if you can't prove it. Yeah. I mean, you, you, some people, I'm not saying everybody does that, but if you want to be mm. in the strongest place, 
Um, whatever I'm writing, if I'm talking about my health and safety approach, and I can put in there, you know, in the last five years, we've had no riddles. Mm -hmm. um, that's a much more powerful thing because I'm not only telling you what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it, but I'm saying, hey, I've done that before and look at the outcomes or the outputs that I've actually delivered. A much, much stronger bid as a result. You're going to score higher up the evaluation criteria. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, what else do we need to know, Scott? Well, probably second, the second bit, and it's a bit obvious, but um, answer the question that you're asked, not the question... That, um, that you wanted to be asked. I tried that quite a lot when I was at school and doing my, yeah, my exams. Me too, that's why I was just smiling when you said it, yeah. Yeah, so for me, you know, you, you read the question, you think, whoops, I haven't actually, uh, I'm prepped for that, so I'll, I'll answer the one that I wanted to be asked. And I, I never found that got me a particularly good grade. So, you know, be very careful to read the, the question and then answer the question um, that, that, that they've actually asked you. Um, back end of the process when you've written it, uh, written it do you know, it's keeping the educational analogy. It's really tough to mark your own homework. Mm. Um, see if you've got a, got a friend um, in, well, or somebody who's not been involved in your own business or, you know, uh, somebody in, in another small business who will give you some support Get, or, you know, a specialist um, procurement or bid writing company. Get them to read it for you at the end and just challenge whether you've answered the questions and whether or not it's coming across as strongly as you would want. And take, yep. that, take that, that feedback constructively. You know, it's, it's people trying to help you to get over the line and actually be the, the preferred bidder at the, at the end of it. And then the, the, the classic mistake is leaving, um, submitting through, these all going through portals normally, and it's leaving submitting it until the day it's supposed to be submitted and then discovering you've got an IT problem or you've got a bandwidth problem with uh, the internet, particularly at the moment with you know, uh, COVID-19 and all of the restrictions. Set your plan out so you actually submit it the day before. Yes. Um, and, uh, and then put it in. And then at the end of it, um, I guess, don't, don't forget to learn from what you've done. Um, you know, so take the learning out of that and build your boilerplate up a bit more take those standard responses, put more content into them, and that'll be a better response. Uh, that'll, that'll make your next time easier. And whether you're successful or not, any professional organization that you're bidding to will offer you feedback. Bite their hand right. off. Whether you win or lose, bite their hand off and make sure that you learn from that so that next time you're better. Yeah. Brilliant. Scott? It's uh, <laughs> you make it sound very straightforward, which I'm, which I guess it is really, isn't it? It's just daunting and and um, and difficult. I remember the first tender we wrote. I I, I printed the uh, tender documents off, and I thought this is a doddle, and I wrote it, and our word count was four hundred words, and uh, we we went to a uh, we went to a tender writer. And uh, he said, no, 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 no. Anyway, he worked with us for, we spent quite a lot of money and he worked with us and our tender submission we actually put in was 26,000 words. <laughs> so was, uh, I just answered questions. Can you deliver this project? And I wrote, yes. <laughs> so there is more to it. There's a, there's a, there's a skill to it. How do, how do people get support for this, um, Scott? How do, how do people find your business, um, the professional bid, um, bid writers? Um, well, you, you find us through our, um, our website. Um, so that's uh, www eibps.co.uk um, okay. our contact details are there if, if the office just pick up the phone and give us a shout um, 
we're trying to do uh, quite a bit uh, with the, the chambers in the area um, to give them an opportunity to sort of signpost. Again, mm-hmm. uh, I think you get a lot of really good um, support and, um, and guidance out of the chambers across the West Midlands. I think one of the most active chambers in the country. Um, definitely worth um, talking to them if you're, um, if you're looking for, some, um, for support. Um, there are other people. I'd love to say um, we were the only people out there. We're not. There are other people. Um, if you if you hit Google, um, yep. and, uh, you know, I'd obviously say you know come talk to us. But there are other people out there. Um, yeah. And you know, the, the biggest message for me, I guess, to use, you know, just recognise the potential that's out there. You know, there's yeah. some really good opportunities out there. Um, if you do the preparation in advance. Um, if you make sure you get your resource right so that you've got the time to actually do it professionally, um, you know, most SMEs can have a, a pretty good crack at this and, um, and, and grow your business. Brilliant. That's what we're there for. To, that's what we're here to do. So uh, Scott, that's been absolutely fantastic. Thanks very much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us today. No problem. It's been a pleasure. So that's it for this episode of Saturday Strategy. Thank you so much for sticking with us to the end. And thank you, Scott, for such great insight into a really accessible and important way to understand how we can scale up and grow our businesses. Um, If you've got any feedback or you want to speak to me, um, you can contact me on WhatsApp using 07977. 437360. That's my personal number, so it'll definitely get straight through to me. Thank you again until next time. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to hear more, then hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts.